Have you always wanted to have a program on the radio? If you can talk on the phone, you can have your very own program on Holy Ghost Radio 2. You can produce your program or we can help you produce it. For more information, tap on the ad panel on our app or contact us through our website, www.holyghostradio.com. The following program is brought to you by an independent producer. The opinions expressed on the program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, or ownership of Holy Ghost Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is the Tell It Like It Is radio show. Pastor Bob Simons is out this week, but you can still call in or text with your questions, or yeah, call him, I suppose, or text at 290-7862. Uh, it's 290-7862. Uh, he'd be, he'd likes, he likes the feedback uh, and all this type of thing. Um, so if you would like to ask a question or have a comment, uh, you can contact him, and I'll give that number out uh, you know, throughout the show. I also want to invite you to the New Life Pentecostal Church. We have services every Wednesday and Sunday. Wednesday night is a uh, worship service uh, Bible study, and that starts at 730 at 504 Elks Drive. We are in the uh, Old Elks Building. The top part of that, the Elks uh, have the lower part, and then there's also some apartments down there in the lower part, but we are at the top part now. And let's see, when else? Seven, uh, Sunday, we have a 10 o'clock Sunday school service. We have um, you know children's Sunday school. We have adult Sunday school. We have a new converts class. So you know if you're just learning about this whole God thing and, and maybe you don't, you know, you, you, you've got sort of what you feel like maybe are basic questions, that would be the class for you. Um, that's at 10 o'clock. And then at 11 o'clock, we have our worship service. And uh, again, that's all at 504 
Elks Drive. And so tonight, uh, as we do every Sunday on the Tell It Like It Is radio show, we are going to take a uh, Bible topic. We're going to be looking at some scripture. Um, but I might be spending a little bit more time than uh, what we usually do here talking a little bit about psychology. I'm going to first start off by reading a couple quotes to you. And all of them, these three quotes, all three of them have something in common. And what they have in common is what I'm going to be talking about on tonight's show. So to start off, we're in the uh, book of Matthew, and we're looking at chapter 26, verse 11. This is Jesus speaking, and the quote, the first quote that I want to bring to you is Jesus saying, For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. Uh, so that would be the first quote. second quote is from Mitt Romney. This is circa 2016 when he was running for president. Mitt Romney said something to the effect of, I like being able to fire people who provide services to me. And then the third quote is Paul speaking here in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 16. And Paul writes, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You know, uh, the word empathy could be defined as identification with an understanding of another person's situation, their feelings, their motives. Um, empathy, you could think of that as the act of coming to experience the world as you think someone else does. It's different than sympathy. It's different than compassion. Empathy is you're almost taking another person's viewpoint and you're feeling what they're feeling. In a speech before he became president, Barack Obama described how empathy can be a choice. He stressed how important it is to, quote, to see the world through the eyes. I could do maybe an Obama quote. See the world through the eyes of those who are different from us. The child who's hungry. The steel worker who's been laid off. I won't keep telling you that. But the family who's lost the entire life that they built together when the storm came to town. When you think like this, continues the quote, when you choose to broaden your ambit of concern and empathize with the plight of others, whether they are close friends or distant strangers, it becomes harder not to act, harder not to help. And so certainly many politicians, and I would imagine most people, talk about this concept of empathy as being uh, a, a good thing. And... I would imagine that most people would see empathy as an unmitigated good. Like there's all, there's only upside. There's no downside. Uh, in fact, you can think about, well, you know, what about psychopaths or sociopaths? Aren't these individuals who have no empathy, no capacity to feel what other people are feeling? Which this is maybe a little bit of a side note. We're not really going to be talking about, you know, sociopaths tonight, but turns out, actually, that, that uh, whether you want to call them sociopaths, psychopaths, these people actually uh, have quite a bit of empathy. In fact, one of the ways that they are most effective at their, you know, tortures or their psychological, you know, uh, um, games that they play on people is because they can understand um, the viewpoint of and the pain of other people. They, can, they know what makes other people tick. They just don't really care much if they hurt you. Uh, that kind of is what distinguishes them as a as a psychopath. So, so it's not that they are um, completely lacking of empathy. But here's a question: So, if if empathy is good, and I would say that most people would say that it, it is good, um, how much of empathy is enough? You know, if if you think about your life. And you think about all of the the energy that you have throughout the day. Uh, let's just say you, you can sort of think of it as a as a gas tank, right? You've got a hundred percent of of whatever amount of empathy that you have in your gas tank, and you're going to have to divvy that up. You're, all the all of that energy, the feelings, uh, your concern, you're going to have to divvy it up between yourself, your family, and strangers. All right. So if you're mathematically inclined at all, you can think of it in terms of the uh, of a formula. 
You have self plus close people plus strangers equals 100% of all the concern that you can muster in a given day. So how do we divvy this up? Well, I mean, we can look at it a couple different ways. Imagine that you would spend 100% of all of your concern on yourself, right? That would be someone who would be just completely egotistical, right? That, that would be someone who, who we would say is surely a monster of some kind, right? A very narcissistic, very selfish, probably very lonely and, um, you know, uh, angry person because no one's going to want to be around them. Um, so, so hundred percent yourself, that would be bad. hundred percent other people. So 0% self, hundred percent other people. That would be probably some kind of a like radical uh, sort of, I mean, you, that would be a crazy person probably if you just, if you would not even, you know, to the point where you wouldn't even eat because you'd be giving all your food to another person. I mean, you, you would, that would be a mentally unbalanced person. We might, you know, consider that someone, uh, some kind of a crazy saint or, or something like this. And if you think about 0% for strangers, well, really, History is replete of people who have who have had zero concern for strangers. So we know that that's not great. All right, this is some people have argued uh, that that uh, you know divvying up your concern between solely yourself and close family. That's kind of the default mode of human nature. Uh, people tend to not be particularly concerned with uh, strangers, or at least. You know, that's um, that's been a problem throughout history across time, across culture. So we know what they're what the numbers shouldn't be. But what should they be? It's a little bit difficult. And so psychologists have been very interested in studying empathy. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, how they come to do this Um I might get around to saying some more Bible scriptures. No, I'm just kidding. We We will be tying this back into the to the Bible, to the scripture. But I think it's interesting because to, to, to figure out or to, to learn about how um, social scientists look at this because that is something that, 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 they, that they study, that they do experiments on uh, because this is an important part of human nature. So in a typical experiment on empathy, the people in the, in the experiment are given some sort of experience so they might be shown pictures of people's faces or their hands, or they might watch movies that depict different activities or emotional reactions. They might be able to, they might be made to feel mild pain sometimes, or to watch someone else feel mild, mild pain. They may be told a story or asked to take a particular attitude toward a person or situation, such as I want you to be objective in this situation, or I want you to be empathetic and think about how this person's, feeling. So there's all different kinds of ways that they, that, that, um, psychologists measure or do experiments on empathy. Again, sometimes they actually look at real people. Sometimes they read stories. Sometimes they watch movies. And while they're doing this, whatever different mode that they're looking at, many times the subject's brain is being scanned during the experience. Like with fMRI, uh, your, your typical, you know, people know about brain scans, right? It's you, you could, your doctor could do it, but they have their, their brains being scanned and, and they're just seeing what, what areas are activated. And so there are two important findings. Here's one having an, empathy response an empathetic response to someone else's experience can involve the same brain tissue that's active when you yourself are having the experience. So those of you who are old enough to remember Bill Clinton, I know we're just, there's just wall to wall democratic, uh, uh, reference politician references. I'm not trying to stump for anyone. We got an election coming up on Tuesday. This isn't some kind of subtle hint here, but Bill Clinton has that famous line. I feel your pain. You know, he was known as a very empathetic president of Barack Obama was known as a very empathetic president. Um, you know, whether or not you think that they really were, at least they, you know, they, they talk the talk type of thing. But Bill Clinton said, I, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Well, 
in some sense, that's not just a gooey metaphor. It can be neurologically literal. Other people's pain really does activate the same brain area as your own pain. Here's a second important finding. I, we got two important findings. One is that same brain areas activate whether you're doing it or someone else is doing it if you're having empathy for that person. Here's another important finding. Our empathetic experience is influenced by what we think about the other person we are empathizing with and how we judge the situation the person is in. This is where empathy goes bad. And I'll explain that just after this. You stepping to the bow of my boat Speaking to the wind and waves Peace be still Gratitude has overtaken all my thoughts of despair And the emptiness that once was Lord Is now a place you fill And I'm thankful for the faith you placed in me And that you are almighty because when I'm weak, then I am made strong. I'm thankful for the blood you shed for me when you died on Calvary. Because when I'm baptized, it removes all my wrong. I'm thankful. When salvation was so near So at those times you don't feel like lifting your voice Remember that Jesus has purchased your choice The praises you offer can set captives free Because where Jesus is there will be liberty But if we do not praise you kindness and compassion where you delivered me from sin and the emptiness within from the immorality nothing else could set me free all the drugs that had me bound so depressed i thought i'd drown all the lies of rock and roll could never heal my wounded soul but you filled me with your spirit and i spoke with Tongues you gave me how to be a witness and the power to overcome. Now you've given me a new life because I've been born again of the water and the spirit so that I can enter in into the Holy 
sunshine And I'm thankful for the rain I'm thankful that you healed me For a heart that's free from pain I'm thankful for your goodness And I'm thankful for your grace I'm thankful for the smile That you've put upon my face And the least of all your mercies I'm not worthy of today So I lift my voice toward heaven So that you can hear me And that was I'm Thankful by uh, Pastor Bill Farron from his album The Captain. And this is the Tell It Like It Is radio show. I need to issue a correction. That's 501 Elks Drive. Apparently I said 504. So it's 501 Elks Drive. Um, and again, uh, that number for Pastor Simons, if you want to call or text, uh, area code 701 That's 701-290-7862. All right. Bad side of empathy. So, again, of the two important findings, the second one is that our empathetic experience is influenced by what we think of the person and how we judge the situation the person is, is in. So, for example, you feel more empathy for someone who treats you fairly than for someone who has cheated you. You feel more empathy for someone who is cooperating with you than for someone you are in competition with. Or take one study where subjects were shown videos of people in pain said to be suffering from AIDS. Some of these individuals were described as having been infected through intravenous drug use. Others were described as getting AIDS through a blood transfusion. People felt less empathy for the person who became or supposedly became infected through drug use. And their neural activation, their brain activation, told the same story. When they viewed this individual, they had less activation in brain areas associated with pain. And the more that subjects explicitly blamed the drug users for their fate, the less empathy they had and the less brain, brain activation there was. Empathy works just like prejudice works. In this regard, empathy distorts our moral judgments in pretty much the same way that, that, that prejudice does. You know, Leviticus 19.11, God said, You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Now, we could probably all understand if God had said, thou shall not honor the person of the mighty. In other words, when you're sitting in judgment, and not specifically to, like, if that's your actual job, you're a judge, but, I mean, we, we make judgments all the time, right? Uh, we're, we're constantly judging whether things are good or bad, uh, whether we like them, whether we don't like them. And it would make a lot of sense if God said, hey, just be careful that you don't prefer someone or honor someone just because they're a mighty person. They got a lot of status just because they're rich, right? And there are elsewhere in the Bible that, that, that talks about that. But notice that God said that you shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor. In other words, just because they're poor doesn't mean and when you're sitting in judgment over them, that you're going to prefer them over someone who is rich. In other words, if they're wrong, then they're wrong. It has nothing to do with whether they're poor or whether they're not poor. Now, there's not a lot of empathy in that. Because a lot of us would have, I would say even most of us probably would have, uh, uh, might have a much easier time empathizing with the plight of a poor person and want to, um, sway a judgment in their favor, especially over someone you know like a billionaire, like a Bill Gates, for example. But if Bill Gates was legally in the right and the poor person was legally in the wrong, it would be unrighteous to judge in favor of the poor. And I think you guys understand that. And if you go back to some of these quotes here 
you know, Jesus saying, you know, for the poor you have always with you, but me you have not always. That doesn't seem super empathetic. Um, we could talk about the time when when a, a woman comes begging for a blessing from Jesus and he says it's not fit, it's not meat to give the children's food to the dogs. In other words, Jesus said, I'm here to bless the Jews. I'm not here to bless the the Gentile. She was not a she was not a Jewish woman, and he was calling her a dog, her people a dog. And you would say, why would that be in the Bible? That's a pretty harsh statement. And there's other times when Jesus is called, you know, uh, Pharisees and whatnot, the vipers, and you know, a generation of vipers. Of course, he overturned, you know, the money changers' table, drove out people with uh, uh, whips and different things. When they were um, um, corrupting the temple, uh, but you know, but this particular kind of hits hard, calling a woman a dog who came to him asking for a blessing, needing something from the Lord. Of course, if you read that whole story, you'll see that this woman had faith beyond that that, that Jesus came across in that area, and he and he did end up blessing her, and he praised her for her faith and that was an example that was for our example and and just how how much god um uh, values faith how important faith is in this uh, in living for god and reaching god and that's a different bible uh, uh topic but you know seemingly not a lot of empathy there at least in the beginning and that quote from Mitt Romney, I like being able to fire people who provide services to me. Now, the context of that makes a lot of sense. But at the time, he was really attacked for not being very empathetic. And, of course, going up against a politician like Barack Obama, who just exuded empathy, um, could have possibly been one of the reasons why you know Obama got to be president and Mitt Romney did not. He was seen as a very unempathetic figure, uh, Mitt Romney was. Paul, of course, in Galatians 4.16, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You know, I'm not empathizing with you. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sugarcoat this. I'm not trying to soft, soft sell it. I'm telling you the unvarnished truth. You know, you're messing up. You need to change. And now you're mad at me. I'm your enemy. There are times when empathy uh, is a, uh, causes harm, causes evil. One way empathy is harmful is that empathy is limited in that it focuses on specific individuals. Uh, do a little thought experiment with me, all right? I want you to think of one person in your life, not not you, but someone else. Think of a person who is really going through a hard time. Maybe it's a financial hardship. Maybe it's an emotional hardship. Maybe they lost a loved one. They're in a uh, bad relationship, um, whatever it is, picture this person and really just empathize with them. Just feel what they're feeling. Think about them. Think about what they're going through. All right. When you Now you've got that. Now keep that in mind. Now, now do five people. Think of five people in your life that are going through a hard time, and I need you to empathize with them. Really just... You know, it's not just the one, it's the five people. Most of us know five people who are going through, or maybe even recently have gone through tragedy. Maybe this is the anniversary of some kind of tragedy. And just think, think about what they're feeling, what they're, what they're thinking, how it would be to go through that. You got the five people. Okay, now let's do 50. Think about 50 people. And maybe now you have to go outside your, your people, you know. But you know, I mean, there are, there are poor people, there are homeless people. There are people that have, you know, we, we can do, okay, now you got 50 and let's do a 1 million. Let's do 1 million people. Think of 1 million people in your head and, and just think, really empathize with them. Um, okay, now let's just go to a billion. I mean, there's seven plus billion people on earth. So we're just going to take a seventh of them and really think about empathize. You can't do it. I might have even lost you after one, right? Maybe you could have done five. But empathy has a spotlight nature. And empathy's spotlight nature renders it enumerate and myopic. Uh, you know what illiterate means, right? Literate means you can't read. Enumerate would be like that, but with numbers. Empathy can't deal with large numbers. It's myopic. It can't, it can't see far. It's very focused on just 
It's short-sighted. It doesn't resonate properly to the effects of our actions on groups of people. And it's insensitive to statistical data and estimated costs and benefits. I'll give you an example. I remember where I was when I heard about uh, Sandy Hook, about the mass shootings. If, I, if I'm not careful, I'll start crying right now. That was uh, hard-hitting. I was in out in the countryside in North Dakota somewhere. I wasn't anywhere near Sandy Hook. Okay, I have none of my. I did not have any of my children at that time uh, in any kind of a school. But it hit me hard thinking about. And if you don't know about Sandy Hook, uh, an individual um, shot a bunch of not only teachers but a bunch of small children. More small. He like went to a elementary school and, and just and just to shoot these children. Uh, horrific. It, it was, I mean, I, I would, you know, dare to think it was one of the, uh, if not the worst, one of the worst. Of course, we could talk about the Twin Towers. I mean, there's several bad things that have happened in our in our country for sure. But uh, just with the, the, the children element to it, Sandy Hook had to have been one of the worst, and that was back in 2012. Over the last 30 years in the United States, mass shootings have caused hundreds of deaths, right? I mean, I'm, this is not an anti-gun thing, but it, it, we, we have had them. But And these are horrible. But it, well, and, and a lot of people try to make policies about these. There's the, the shootings in um, uh, Florida, you know, somewhat recently. We, you know, we had CNN at a town hall. You had people like, you know, the five minutes of hate that was at the, the, the different, um, uh, Dana Loesch, uh, Loesch, uh, the MP, uh, NRA spokesman. I mean, it was, it was a spectacle. Uh, people were very upset about this. The toll from these mass shootings equals about one tenth of 1% of American homicides. So these are statistical non-events, however, hard hitting, devastating, all of these lives are important. They are statistical non-events when you consider the death toll from other homicides. And what, what I mean is that if you could wave a magic wand and end all mass shootings forever, nobody looking at the overall homicide rates would even notice. And actually, in the year of Sandy Hook killings, more school children were murdered in one American city in Chicago than were murdered in, murdered in Newtown. No one thinks about those children. Their families think about them, but no, no one else does. Why? Because of how empathy works. It's a spotlight. It sways us over, toward the one over the many. Uh, scientists have done an experiment on this, and they have, in one experiment, they did a, uh, they had this, um, it, it wasn't a real organization, but they, they talked about a, a charitable organization called the Quality Life Foundation. And what this organization did supposedly was to make the final years of terminally ill children more comfortable. So the participants in this study were told that they would hear interviews with individual children on the waiting list for treatment. Uh, subjects in one condition were told, while you're listening to this interview, try to take an objective perspective toward what is described. Try not to get caught up in how the child who is interviewed feels. Just remain objective and detached. And those in another condition were told, try to imagine how the child who was interviewed feels about what has happened and how it has affected this child's life. Try to feel the full impact of what this child has been through and how he or she feels as a result. And so they had an interview with a girl, it's not a real girl, but the girl was named Sherry Summers. She was described as a very brave, bright 10-year-old. Her painful terminal illness was described in detail. And uh, she, she talked about how she would love to get the services of Quality Life Foundation. The people in this experiment were then asked, do you want to fill out a special request to move Sherry up on the waiting list? And then they would just say yes or no. Now, it was made clear that if this request were granted, it would mean that other children higher up in priority would have to wait longer to get care. So you've got the Sherry. Do you want to bump her up over other children? 75% approximately of subjects who were asked to, 
to take on the perspective of Sherry wanted to move her up as compared to only about 33% of people who were asked to remain objective. So realize what's going on here. The effect of empathy was not in the direction of increasing justice. It's, it was not just to move or to prefer Sherry over all of these other children who had a higher priority. Maybe they were waiting longer. Maybe they had a worse off illness, whatever the case was. It was unjust to do what these people did. But they had a special concern for the target of empathy, despite the cost towards other others. You know, um, Every once in a while, it's, it's a good idea to, uh, you know, we study history, right? So we're not, so we don't repeat it. Um, some of these murderous communist dictators have uh, quite a bit to say about life. In fact, um, they uh, oftentimes are very uh, brilliant men, despite being evil, uh, despite being sadistic, maybe because of being um, uh, sadistic and evil or, or because of being brilliant, they're, they, they're even more evil. Uh, their 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 sadistic nature is able to uh, affect more harm. Stalin has been quoted as saying, "One death is a tragedy. One million is a, st- a statistic." He's hitting on the idea that empathy is enumerate. Once you start getting too many people, <laughs> too many problems, your mind just kind of shuts down. And so kindness motivated by empathy, it can make the world worse. This is why God has to point this out in Leviticus 19.11. Do not prefer the poor just because they are poor. Proverbs 11.1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Oftentimes we would read that, or I've read that, and think about someone um, you know, messing with the scales in order to enrich themselves. But that's not the only reason why people mess with uh, scales. Uh, again, in Deuteronomy twenty-five fourteen through fifteen, there's, the Bible has a, is full of verses about weights and measures. God is very much interested in judging properly, judging correctly. Deuteronomy twenty-five fourteen through fifteen says, "You shall not have a shall not have in your house differing measures, large and small. You shall have a full." And just wait, you shall have a full and just measure that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Um, we're going to go to one more song here, and I want to talk about um, a, a chaplain in the New England women's prison. Something that he said that a lot of people could look at as being uh, incredibly heartless, incredibly cold, and yet this was the exact right thing for this man to say. No 
was Try a Little Harder by Pastor Bill Farron. This is the Tell Like It Is radio show, 701-290-7862. If you have any questions or comments, you can go ahead and text those to Pastor Simons, and he will be back in the studio uh, next week is the plan. Talking about empathy today, we're talking about um, where it, you know, again, the idea that most people I'm sure have um, is that empathy is a good thing to have, and it certainly can be, I suppose, in our personal interactions, our our day-to-day interactions with our family and other people. It would be good to have some empathy. But the idea that it's only good and that it is never bad is um, not borne out by science, certainly. But I think we also have several warnings uh, in, in the Bible on it as well uh, to be careful uh, in when we are um, really talking about judging with our heart. And of course, uh, many of you are very familiar with the scripture that talks about um, the heart being uh, desperately wicked, the heart being deceitful above all, all things. Um, you know, the idea that we should just follow our heart or listen to our heart, uh, that, that is an incredibly bad idea. Of course, that is one of the major themes of a lot of, you know, uh, you know children's programming and Disney movies and this type of thing. Just follow your heart. Uh, your heart will tell you the right thing. Um, that's not true. That is not true. Absolutely not true. Um, so, you know, talking about this, uh, we, we, as we left off, talking about this Chaplain Murphy uh, in New England, he there was a, a news article where he was being interviewed, and uh, the reporter said something like, it must be very hard around this time of year. Well, this was around Christmas time. He said, it must be very hard around this time of year for the women who just want to be home for their kids. And, I mean, the obvious response, I would think that most of us would be like, yeah, yeah, it is really difficult. We feel really bad for them and, you know, maybe even please please pray for them, you know, this type of thing. Have empathy toward these women. But Chaplain Murphy said something very different. Uh, He said something like, actually, the number one offense these women have in prison is parole violation. Uh, And if you if you know anything about that, that just means that, you know, they're out of prison. They have some rules that they have to abide by. Sometimes it's they can't uh, be around certain people. Sometimes they have to you know be in at a certain time. They can't have certain items uh, on them, certain contraband items. they can't be, you know, oftentimes they can't be drinking, doing drugs, this type of thing. And they have to check in every so often with their parole officer. And if they violate those conditions, then they have to go back to, to prison. And so he said, you know, the number one offense these women have, most of these women have in prison is parole violation. If they wanted to be with their children, he said, they could be. That is not empathetic. But is it true? You know, it would probably make those women, or if they were men, same thing. It would probably make them feel better by telling them, I know you want to be with your children. I feel so bad for you. But let me ask you, does that help their children? I mean, would that help the children feel better? It probably would help the moms feel better. But would it help the children? Or would it help the children more? By giving mom a wake-up call, if it would be a wake-up call. I mean, hopefully it would be. Sometimes people do need to be slapped in the face where, no, you put yourself here. Like You have the power to not be here. Like, you're here missing your kids? Okay, don't do what you did to get in here. Follow the, the, the you know, conditions of your parole, and you will be with your children. Uh it might surprise some of you that there are people who like that would actually, that would not have occurred to them. I mean, sometimes you have to really slap them in the face and they're like, Oh, okay. I mean, I would say that you, you know, you'd imagine that most people would realize that, but um, that's not always the case. A lot of times people have a lot of excuses. 
you know, if you at all pay attention to the news, there are incidents after incident of, uh, well, it's not as much as what the, um, what the media portrayed as. I mean, just strict numbers wise, but the coverage is very, um, uh, um, you know, they, they blow up the coverage of this. But there are a series of, uh, of instances in which unarmed black men have died at the hands of the police. And many people who watch those instances, I think last year it was about, it was 16 or 20, something like that, uh, of, you know, of all, uh, you know, black people in America, there was about 16 or 20, I think it was, uh, unarmed black men dying at the hands of the police. Now, many people express their anguish about the lack of empathy that Americans and particularly the police have with racial minorities, right? No empathy is what they would say. However, you can also hear the angry responses. You can read the angry responses. You can read about people complaining about the lack of empathy that many Americans have with the police or with the victims of crimes. It was fairly recently you had a, an incident of a of an unarmed black man. Supposedly he was reaching for a knife. I think there's still that has not gone to trial yet. Uh, and he was shot, not killed, but he was shot. Many people were outraged over this. Uh, I'm sure many of them thought, you know, here's another example of Americans, particularly particularly police officers, not having empathy towards uh, a black male. But the police were called because a woman had been uh, molested sexually by this man, she she alleges. Uh, we don't know yet because it has to go to trial. We have a system here, so allegedly uh, he was molesting her. And so just as many people would think, well, no, what about the victims? What about the victim that that man, you know, that the woman that he victimized? What about her? We don't have enough empathy. The one thing that both sides can agree on is that we need more empathy, Right? Everyone agrees, more empathy, more empathy. And what I'm suggesting is maybe that's not the case. You know, Dick Cheney was asked to defend the United States record on terror, on torture, rather, I'm sorry, on torture. Now, you might think that he would, you know, his argument might involve abstract appeals to security and safety. He might go through all of the different laws and regulations. But when he was asked by Congress to define torture, Dick Cheney gave this as an example. He said, this is what torture is. An American citizen on a cell phone making a last call to his four young daughters shortly before he burns to death in the upper levels of the Trade Center in New York City on 9-11. That was his definition of torture. In other words, he was saying, what we're doing to these, uh, you know, what do they call them, non-confirmed combatants, or uh, I can't remember the term now. Uh, when they would catch suspected terrorists and they would you know, do things like waterboard them and different things like this, they would say, that, that's not torture what we're doing to them. What they did to us was torture. That's an empathetic argument. Right? Defending torture about talking about the suffering of a single identifiable individual. So am I saying, we're going to kind of wrap this up, put a nice little bow on this. Am I, am I saying that Christians should not have empathy? Or am I saying that God does not have empathy? I'm not saying that. We look at Matthew nine thirty six. Jesus here talking about Jesus. It says, "But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad, and as sheep having no shepherd." The only reason why I'm even here tonight, even though maybe even alive on this earth, is because God, having we could maybe say empathy, compassion, mercy uh, on me. And I know many of you feel the same way. So I'm certainly happy that, that God uh, uh, has this, has, has empathy, has concern, has, has compassion. And certainly the Bible talks about uh, Christians uh, um, having kindness and, and, and empathy. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. But even in that, 
you don't necessarily have to put yourself in the place uh, uh, and feel the you know that feel the pain of another person in order to forgive them in order to be tender hearted to them in order to be kind or to be good to them to have, to show love to them you can do all those things just because god told you to do that and sometimes when you try to you know put yourself in their place i mean honestly a, a lot of um i think that a lot of times we would be better off by getting outside of our own heads and worrying so much about the things that we're going through the things that we're feeling because a lot of times those things just get in the way of our worship of god and our uh treatment of other people because we can start to treat other people based on how we feel we're in a bad mood we're grumpy we're snappish we're whatever so the idea that we should try to have more empathy and sort of feel what they're feeling, I don't know that this is necessarily the 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 plan here. I don't think that's the play. I don't think that's the good idea necessarily. Maybe instead of trying to feel how other people are feeling, maybe feel out God, maybe, maybe uh, try to take on the mind of Christ like the Bible talks about. Judge with the the spirit, uh, you know, not necessarily, uh, not not to judge carnally, but to judge spiritually, and above all, to have kindness and compassion, long suffering, forgiveness, all of these things, um, and and to again just to judge rightly. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and we're going to end with this and. It's uh, Psalms 78, and we're going to start with verse 35, and it says, And they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But, But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. In many a time turned he his anger away, and did not stir up all his wrath. Why? Verse 39. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth, passeth away, and cometh not again. Another verse talks about how he, he knows or remembers that we are dust. We're formed from the dust. And you know, the the idea that God has compassion on us, God can forgive us, um, this is, you know, uh, this is one of, again, one of the verses that, that uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, and it's always so powerful uh, to me. Well, folks, I don't know if it was a few minutes early or not, but... Um, I guess I could keep talking, but I think that uh, I've made my point. I've gotten it, uh, well, as good as I can make it. And again, next week, uh, Lord willing, we'll have Pastor Simons back in the studio. And you know, in the meantime, again, 701-290-7862. If you have any comments or questions, um, I'd like to invite you one more time to church at the New Life United Pentecostal Church, 501 Elks Drive, right here in Dickinson, North Dakota. We've got services at 7.30 on Wednesday night and then at 10 o'clock Sunday and also 11 o'clock on Sunday. And let's see here. I always like to play. We'll, we'll play the, um, the, I don't know if he still plays this actually at the end sometimes. We, we change it up. But this is the classic ending of the Tell It Like It Is show. We've done this for years and years on end. This is a Lance Appleton song, uh, one of my favorites. So we're going to play this, and we uh, will end the end the show with this. And so, good night, folks. We will see you back here next week.
Have you always wanted to have a program on the radio? If you can talk on the phone, you can have your very own program on Holy Ghost Radio 2. You can produce your program or we can help you produce it. For more information, tap on the ad panel on our app or contact us through our website, www.holyghostradio.com. The preceding program was brought to you by an independent producer. The opinions expressed on the program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, or ownership of Holy Ghost Radio.